This is the Reading Instruction Show. I am your host, as always, the jolly one, Dr. Andy Johnson. Topic of today's podcast is consensus among researchers, intensive phonics, and vocabulary and word building instruction. Now, this is the fifth in a series of podcasts looking at an article published in the New Yorker magazine that I did first back in September. And I was going to do a series of them, but so many silly things kept occurring that I got a little bit off track. But I'm back on track. The name of this article was called The Rise and Fall of Vibes-Based Literacy, written by Jessica Winter. And I was sent this article. I think someone wanted to make a point. They thought they would change my mind by reading this article. Now, in this article, Jessica Winter used her platform with the New Yorker magazine to accuse teachers in New York City of using vibes-based literacy. Now, Jessica Winter is an editor at the New Yorker, where she also writes about family and education. And apparently, being knowledgeable about education is not a prerequisite for writing about education for the New Yorker magazine. Their standards are low. So I'm spending time analyzing Jessica Winter's article in this series of podcasts because it so accurately represents the disrepresentation and the ununderstanding of literacy instruction being portrayed by the science of reading community as well as other media. Now, the New Yorker magazine has a readership of over a million people. A million! So it's safe to say that a lot of people read Jessica Winter's article. And I'm guessing most of these people had little background in education or literacy instruction. And I'm guessing most of these people thought that just because this article is in a big-time magazine that it must be reasonably close to being true, or at the very least, that the writer checked her sources. Oops! Hence, I feel it my civic duty as a paid employee of the state of Minnesota to point out the blatant ignorance smeared all over the pages of this article like stale margarine. So, let me recap a bit. Jessica Winter opened up her article, and again, it was called The Rise and Fall of Vibes-Based Literacy Instruction. She opened up by describing an incident that occurred at her home during COVID as part of her daughter's kindergarten reading instruction. Now, keep in mind that during COVID, all teachers were learning how to adapt what they were doing in the classroom to online home instruction. And this stuff doesn't always transfer so well from school to home. During this time, Jessica's kindergarten daughter was engaged in instruction at home and Jessica saw something she didn't understand called reading workshop. Oh, she said to herself, that's something I've never seen before. I don't understand it. Therefore, 
It has to be bad or wrong, she said to herself. And based on her ununderstanding of literacy development and reading workshop, she perceived what were her daughter's developmentally appropriate behaviors for readers at that level. She perceived these behaviors to be deficient using a deficiency lens because she didn't understand what she was seeing, she perceived her daughter to have reading difficulties because she wasn't doing the things the way that Jessica thought that she should. So based on her lack of knowledge, Jessica Winter came to conclusions about things, none of which were remotely accurate. Then, based on a sample size of one and a very teeny tiny subset of data collected for a very short duration with no analysis of any kind, Jessica Winter determined that there was a problem with reading instruction for all of New York City. Further, she determined that she had isolated the variable and that variable was balanced literacy. There's balanced literacy, she said, and there's my daughter displaying what I think is a deficit behavior. They appear together, she said, so obviously one thing is causing the other. Obviously it's balanced literacy that's causing the deficit behavior, she said. But Jessica Winter didn't stop there. She not only figured out the cause of this alleged problem that really wasn't a problem at all because it was developmentally appropriate behavior for a child at the emergent level. She figured out the cause, but also she came up with the solution. Yes, she did. Incredible. And the solution that Jessica Winter came up with was phonics instruction. But wait, there's more. Based on her sample size of one, Jessica Winter believed that the results of her research could be generalized to all the students in New York City. She concluded that all the students in New York City needed to abandon balanced literacy. They need to abandon that, she said, even though Jessica Winter obviously had no idea what balanced literacy was. But she went, out, she went on, that didn't stop her, saying that they need to give up this balanced literacy nonsense, according to Jessica Winter, and instead get a whole bunch of heaping helping of phonics instruction. Imagine that. Now we have a special term for this kind of thing that happens in the literacy research world. We have a special term for this. And that term, when someone does what Jessica Winter did, is called pretty gosh darn stupid. Excuse my salty language here. But it's also called anecdotal evidence, I thinkisms, perception, and confirmation bias. Now, based on her years, the many years that she spent not reviewing reading research, 
Jessica Winter, determined that the type of literacy instruction her child was receiving was not the right kind of literacy instruction. And she called it vibes-based literacy. And this was not a complimentary term. Imagine that. Then Jessica Winter equated reading workshop with balanced literacy. Jessica, Jessica, Jessica. These are two different things. Reading workshop could be an example of balanced literacy, but it could also not be an example. You could be engaged in balanced literacy instruction, and it might not be reading workshop. You really should know what you're talking about before you write an article and send it out to a million people. And balanced literacy is not a method. Balanced literacy is a description. There is a balance of literacy instruction and opportunities to use these skills in authentic reading and writing experiences. There's a balance based not on a scope and sequence chart, but on students' needs. And along the way, you also have to address vocabulary, comprehension, fluency, phonics, phonemic awareness, <clears throat> word identification, word recognition, affect, that's emotion and motivation, social interaction. These are all things that are included in a balanced approach to literacy instruction. There is a balance based on what your students need. One size does not fit all. So Jessica Winter and Emily Hanford and the rest of the Science of Reading Clown Club, you should really know what you're talking about before you criticize balanced literacy. And Jessica, if you don't understand something, that doesn't mean it's bad or ineffective. It just means you don't understand it. And there's no shame in admitting that, Jessica. Maybe you don't understand quantum physics. Does that mean you're going to write an article criticizing it? Are you going to call it vibes-based physics? And finally, Jessica, a basic rule in research of any kind is this. You can't generalize to a larger population based on a sample size of one. All right, moving on. Let's do a little bit of unpackerating some things that Jessica Winter actually said. In your article, Jessica, you said this. These developments, and I'm quoting you, these developments, and she's referring here to science of reading requirements, these developments reflect a long-standing consensus among researchers that intensive phonics and vocabulary building instruction an approach often referred to nowadays as the science of reading, are essential. So let's stop here and do a bit of unpackerating. Long-standing consensus among researchers, she says. And I'm assuming, Jessica, since you wrote that statement, that you've done a review of the research literature. So how long is long-standing? When did it begin? And further, you said consensus among researchers. 
What researchers? How many? Did you have two? Because you can have a consensus between re two researchers. That would be a consensus among researchers. Or maybe it was three or four. That too would be a consensus among researchers. And what kind of researchers were they? Were they psychologists? Were they linguists? Were they soybean researchers? Journalists? Dairy researchers? And what do you have to do to be considered a researcher? Do you need to have a special researcher license? Can just anybody be a researcher? Is collecting data the same as doing research? Is Emily Hanford a researcher? But here is, Jessica, one thing in which there has been a long-term consensus among researchers, and it's this. There is no one-size-fits-all program or method that works best for all students. And why is that? Because no two students are the same and no two classrooms are the same. Thus, hence, effective literacy instruction looks a bit different in every classroom. So you see, Jessica, in the real world of academia, you can't just say stuff. Well, you can, but real academic journals won't publish your stuff. In academia, you have to cite your sources. You have to support your ideas. So you said intensive phonics as well. A little bit more on Packeraton here. Intensive phonics instruction. And let's explore that. What would it look like? And Jessica, are you assuming that intensive phonics doesn't currently take place? How much phonics is intensive? Starting when? Ending when? And are you assuming that every kid needs intensive phonics? Every kid in New York City in grades K-2 needs intensive phonics? Is that what you're saying? But what if students are reading at or above grade level? Do they need intensive phonics? What if phonics isn't working? Do they need more of what's not working so they cannot read to an even greater degree? What if English is not their first language? Do they need intensive phonics? And what do you mean by intensive? What is intensive? Do you mean every day? 20 minutes? 30? 60 minutes? I'm going to teach you hard, hard phonics. Would it be analytic phonics, synthetic phonics, large unit phonics, embedded phonics, phonics for spelling? What exactly do you mean, Jessica? Maybe at the New Yorker magazine you can just throw out words and not worry about what they mean. And that's obviously the standard at the New Yorker magazine. But in the real world, in an academic environment, A, we have to know what the words mean when we use them, and B, we have to attach the correct meaning to the words that we use. Very minimum standard, Jessica. Here's the thing. Everybody believes phonics instruction is essential. This has never been up for debate. I don't know of a major scholar or researcher today 
who doesn't advocate direct and explicit phonics instruction. And oh sure, once upon a time you might have been able to find somebody. Or maybe today you could find a hermit living alone in the wilderness someplace without internet service, who's had no human contact in years, who might advocate a position of no phonics. But in terms of long-standing consensus about phonics, no consenting is needed. Not in the last 40 years, anyway because everybody believes that direct and explicit phonics instruction is necessary for reading instruction for beginning readers. It's not the what of phonics, rather it's the how and the how much and the for whom of phonics instruction that's in question here. All right, the last part of this, you said vocabulary building instruction. Again, lovely sounding words, vocabulary building. Vocabulary is important. It's one of the five pillars recommended by the National Reading Panel Report. Absolutely, who could argue with vocabulary building instruction? But what is it exactly? What would this look like, Jessica? Would teachers be telling students the meanings of words? Would they be giving them definitions? Or maybe students would be looking words up in the dictionary and writing the definitions down. What is vocabulary building instruction? How long would they spend doing this vocabulary building each day? And are you saying reading instruction should consist mostly of phonics and vocabulary building instruction? Is that what you're saying? That doesn't sound very balanced. So many questions so few answers. And then you said, Jessica, an approach often referred to nowadays as the science of reading. So you think it's an approach. Science of reading is an approach, is it? And it involves intensive phonics instruction and vocabulary building? Interesting. And in this approach, is that all you do? Do you read any books with this approach? Do you do any writing with this approach? What about fluency with this approach or comprehension? Or perhaps you just sit around and fill in worksheets or sound out lists of nonsense words or pull words out of context and maybe look up words in the dictionary. Is that what you mean by science of reading? An interesting approach. But with all this consensus among researchers, I'm sure, Jessica, that you'd be able to cite at least one research study that showed this approach was more effective than, say, a balanced approach. Now, don't just cite someone saying something. As you've shown anybody can say something, cite an actual research study, just one, Jessica. You can send it to my email, andrew.johnson at mnsu. Edu. Send it to me, please. So, a little bit more unpackering. Jessica Winter says many nutty, goofy, zany, wacky things. In describing her daughter's reading instruction, she said this, quote, It seems to me that 
Rather than learning to decode a word by phonics, by matching sounds to letters with close adult guidance, <clears throat> a reader following this method is conditioned to look away from the word in favor of the surrounding words or the accompanying illustrations to make a quasi-educated guess, perhaps all on her own. That's what Jessica Winter said. Now let's think about that. There is one thing here I can agree with. It's when Jessica said, it seems to me. Yes, we can agree on that. It may have indeed seemed that way to Jessica Winter. And that's because she used what was in her head to interpret reality. And if the knowledge base in your head related to reading instruction is shallow and disjointed, you're going to misinterpret a lot of things and project all sorts of bizarro ideas onto it. Jessica is displaying what's called Rorschach syndrome. She sees what to her is a meaningless blob of something, and whatever muck is found in the corners of her subconscious gets projected onto it. Jessica went on to say, a reader following this method is conditioned. Conditioned. Really, Jessica? Conditioned? Conditioning children? Is that an emotional buzzword? Oh dear, they're conditioning our children to look away from the word. What about the children? Who's going to protect the children? The children! Conditioning children to look away from the word. Have you no shame, Jessica? Pull your head out of your ass for just a minute. Really? What would that look like? Boys and girls, see this word? Look away! Look away, I tell you! And then every time they did this, the teacher would give them a treat. Is that what you're saying, Jessica? Or perhaps when they looked at the word, they'd get a mild electric shock, so they wouldn't do it anymore. Is that what you mean by conditioning, Jessica? Or perhaps they paired looking away from words with something pleasant, so that they eventually associated looking away from words with something pleasant. These are examples of operant and classical conditioning. This is what conditioning means, Jessica. Is that what you meant to mean? Are they really conditioning children, or are you just looking for emotional buzzwords? So, Jessica Winter, Emily Hanford, The Reading League, Moms for Liberty, The Science of Reading Clown Club, They've all used a lot of adjectives and pejoratives to present a cartoonish version of balanced literacy, but they've never accurately defined it. And they're all pushing for this thing called science of reading. Science, science, it sounds so good. Who could argue with science? We all agree with this, absolutely. But the science of reading propositions put forth by Jessica and Emily and all these people are based on a very naive and limited understanding of science. And if you're going to be dogmatic about science, 
you should really have a bit of understanding about methods of science used in the social sciences. You should understand something about the array of research methods used to understand reading, the reading process, and effective reading instruction. And perhaps, just perhaps, if you're going to be dogmatic and make these statements and condemn balanced literacy, maybe you should have actually, say, read some research related to reading. Maybe it's just me, but that seems kind of the thing that one should do. But they insist that the science of reading instruction, whatever that is, should be the law of the land. But in terms of behaviors, what exactly would we see with science of reading instruction? In terms of current reading instruction, what teaching strategies specifically would we see more of? And in terms of current reading instruction, what would we see less of? What would this look like? Getting beyond your words. What are you saying? Now, currently, 32 states have passed laws or enacted policies related to reading instruction. So now we've got reading laws making it illegal to teach reading in certain ways. The science of reading is to be the law. In Minnesota, it's called the READ Act. It's a law stating that reading instruction has to be a certain way, whether there's consensus among researchers or not. It's the same way in Wisconsin. Teachers teaching reading must use the science of reading, whatever that is. They think that this will fix all the reading problems. They think that soon all children will be reading above average. Okay, you've passed these laws, Minnesota, Wisconsin, these other states. Now you've got your chance. No excuses. I'll see you in five years when this grand experiment in I thinkisms will have been shown to be an expensive boondoggle. Who are you going to blame then? Now, science of reading clowns, and I use that in the most respectful way possible, you can't win the argument in an academic context. And if you can't win the argument in an academic context, what do you do? You take it outside an academic context. Good problem solving, right? You get your for-profit publishers to lobby, to get laws passed that would force schools to buy the products of these for-profit publishers. Then you bully and threaten anyone who would disagree. That's what you've done in Wisconsin. That's what they're doing in Minnesota and around the country. It's called the READ Act. And again, if you can't win the argument in an academic setting, in the science of reading community, you can't. Then you bully and threaten schools, teacher preparation programs, and literacy professors. This has been the Reading Instruction Show. I am your host, Dr. Andy Johnson.